Back in 2008, when I was still in architecture school and I had decided to take a year off, I was going to move to Africa for this hospital project that I was working on, but I didn't have enough money, basically, to live there for the entire year. So I had six months where I didn't know what I was going to do. And I kind of just talked my way into a job at an architecture firm in Mumbai. And so that was a moment where I just kind of picked up and moved myself to Mumbai and really had, like, no safety net at all. I had booked myself one night in this really terrible hostel that ended up feeling kind of almost like a brothel. Oh, no. And um, that was a time where I felt like it was like a real hitting a wall type restart where I was like crying. I was like, what did I just do? What am I doing here? Yeah. And I don't know where I'll be tomorrow. Exactly. And so I had to figure out where I was going to stay and I didn't know where this office was or if they actually were going to even have a job for me. And I ended up loving living in India. But that was probably one of my biggest moments of like real hitting a wall restart. I was like, this might have been a huge mistake. Hi, I'm Thomas Fox with Creative Mornings Cleveland. We're thrilled to have Evergreen Podcasts on board as our official podcast partner. Evergreen Podcasts is committed to producing the best original content and engaging shows. Right now, you're listening to Wake Up Call, recorded on location at the monthly Creative Mornings Lecture Series. Enjoy. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for Wake Up Call. Wake Up Call is an opportunity to connect with the creative community, talk shop, and explore themes inspired by today's breakfast lecture. It's here we invite attendees of the lecture series to join us for coffee and conversation, full of -of out-of-the-box thinking to spark your imagination. I'm your host, David Allen Moss, and for this episode of Wake Up Call, we're exploring the theme, Restart. Join me as I sit down and talk with Marika Shioidi-Clark architect and expert in the discipline of human-centered design. We'll hear excerpts of her and Graham Vasey's guest lectures and spend a few minutes talking with Creative Mornings attendees Elizabeth Kelly, Eric Smith, and Mark Porostowski. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to Wake Up Call. What's the last thing you had to restart? Probably a performance. I had a very important performance. Uh, I was releasing an album, and something terrible happened to the bass, and it got knocked all the way out of tune. And it was the first song of the set of our huge party. We had to restart it. Oh. You know, you do it with grace. Humbling. Yes. <laughs> so, so tell me about what you learned from that, or did you realize anything in that moment of grace, anyway? Oh, well, yes. I think I, what I learned was... If you don't take yourself too seriously, it's not so bad. Right. And it wasn't. Well, it was all right. Yeah. So you had to restart. When you're in that moment, what, what's, what's some of the takeaway? I trust my bandmates and my community right. to support me and right. to support each other. And so like, as a, as a community, we all kind of were able to laugh it off, enjoy the moment, right. and move forward without dwelling on the negative aspects of it. Right, so you, you didn't take it as a negative. You, you saw it as an opportunity, maybe a, a, a learning moment, yeah. or something you could laugh at. And, and it sounds like maybe it created a memory beyond just your album release. Certainly, yeah. So that's happenstance. Let's talk about maybe a time in your path as a musician when you had to stop and take time to actually sort of orchestrate a restart. Well, I can tell you, a restart was orchestrated for me. Okay. I was in a terrible car accident. Okay. And I 
I broke 11 bones in my body oh and my I had to move to Cincinnati and move in with my parents and I had to be taken care of. I couldn't walk. Oh, I could no. barely feed myself. So that was an opportunity. At the time, I didn't, probably didn't see it that way, but it was an opportunity to step back to reevaluate. And it led me to the path of going back to school and getting my degree in music therapy. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so it became something very positive. Was music therapeutic for you in, that, in all that time? You had a lot of time on your hands, About maybe some isolation. Yeah, oh, um, certainly. So what brought you to music therapy? Had you been thinking about it before? It was something that I had thought about in the past, but I had never really researched it, and I didn't really have a very clear idea of what it was. It's not just showing up and playing songs at people. <laughs> you know what's awesome is you took that, that setback. Mm-hmm. And you said it was an opportunity, and now you're using this craft that you learned, music therapy, to help other people with their restart. Can you talk about what it's like to be helping other people through music like that? It is unbelievably rewarding. I have a, it's hard truly to put it into words, but the opportunity to, yes, take my gift and help someone maybe who has had a stroke uh, relearn how to speak. We right. learn how to walk. A person who themselves and their family probably thought that they would never be the same. That is a true restart. I mean, this is, these are big life events, and you're, you're in there using this thing as medicine. Mm-hmm, as a healing and, and tool. That's just incredible. Eric, welcome to Wake Up Call. Let's talk about uh, what you think of today's theme. What attracted you to come out here uh, to talk about restart? You know, I didn't. I didn't even know. I was talking to you before it started. I didn't actually yeah. know what the theme was before we got here. Surprise! Yeah, and then um, I got really nervous when I was in here listening to you talk about uh, talk to Liz, and yeah. you said restart, and I was like, oh, holy! Do you get into personal stuff here? Can we go right into it? Yeah, um, one big thing. Beating my wife was a huge restart for me. I was coming out of a really, really bad place. Yeah. And I've never really talked about it to, to people that much. So I got, like, I immediately my heart just started beating while um, you were yeah. talking to Liz. Even. Really so like that adrenaline, actually. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, listen, we're good people, and let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was, 2012 was a crazy year for me. Like, uh, it was just a year of kind of restarts. I got a new job, and I met my wife in March. Um, and it was like a really, you know, concerted effort starting in January. I was in a, I was in a really bad relationship, and I didn't talk to people about it. Um, I was kind of ashamed of what I was doing. Okay. And I actually just went on eHarmony. I was like, I got to do something. I got to make, like, some crazy change. So I, I paid for eHarmony for three months. I only went on one date on the last day of my eHarmony, and that was with my now wife. My goodness. The la- Wait a minute. The last day. The last day. Literally, it was March 31st was our first date. I paid for three months. And I was going through this thing like for the previous six months in this really terrible relationship that I didn't really talk to anybody about. And so then when I, you know, I started dating my wife, there was a significant change in my, how I acted like on a day-to-day basis. But nobody knew that there was this person in my life. And everyone attributed that to June, like, oh, she's making him feel this way. In reality, it was the restart of me trying to get back to how I used to be. So what would you say to somebody that's in that place maybe you were in? I mean, 
we we kind of like to think everyone here is creative. Yeah. Everyone that draws out here might be looking for something. What would you say to that person in the audience today that needs to to break it on down and and hit the reset button? I mean, it's it's cliche, but you just got to do it. You just got to dive in. If you fail, you fail. That's just going to make it even better when when you succeed. Right. So you got to put fear aside. Yeah, definitely. This is great talking about your big changes in life and where you're headed. And yeah, it's kind of weird. It's really you, weird man. to put That's... it on the record here. Yeah. Well, you know what? Tribute to your wife, and maybe we'll call up eHarmony after this and ask for a little sponsorship <laughs> dollar. <laughs> Welcome to Wake Up Call, Mark. What's something that could benefit from a restart? I think everyone's always trying to find success. So just, it's, I feel like every day is a restart. You know what I mean? Every it's, day is I, a restart. You I know, like just that. just trying something new and, yeah. But listen, are you, what's your background? Tell me about what you do or what your passion play is. And Yeah, I, uh, I'm a musician. Okay. Prim- primarily, I teach guitar lessons. Okay. Uh, I've been in a band for the last eight years. What's your band? The Lighthouse and the Whaler. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's been a fun ride, but it's a constant uh, restart for sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, every project and every record is another uh, new chance at trying to make it a full-time living. Well, you're sitting with uh, three other musicians right now. And, Absolutely. And uh, we get that. Yeah. Um, and there's those days you wake up and you wonder, are we going to ever finish this single? Or, you know, there's this questioning, questioning, questioning. How do you keep that a positive? More recently, it's more it's more just going back to like why you love it and and why you do it and say, well, I want to keep doing this for the rest of my life, regardless of making it a full time job. So, what can I do that I can also enjoy that will help me keep creating music that I think is important to make? You know? Right. In that restart, you're saying, what can I do to kind of keep the machine going over here? This is what I really want to do, but I know I have to do multiple things to keep it going. Yeah. Do you have any uh, people you think of, music you think of, that keeps that sort of restart happening? More recently, I listened to a band called Mike Snow. Okay. They're pretty popular. Yeah. But something about their production is draws me in every time yeah. and it makes me want to write like that and record you know record like that and yeah. produce like that but do you feel like when you go into the studio that's that chance too to restart yeah i think i mean for for us every single project has somehow been in my eyes drastically different from the last mm-hmm. um so i think we're always trying to do something different but Maybe that's a detriment too, because the things that have worked, you know, people like, and then then you start it, you write a new song, and it's completely different, and they're not into it, you know. Right, so. right. I, I'm thinking about it in a different way, ha- talking with you and some of our earlier guests, that uh, it involves sort of going back to the start and thinking about what originally got me into this, because you do lose sight of it. It's like you got to keep your eyes on the prize, and I'm glad you are. Graham and Marika are both going to come up and tell some of their experiences of starting again. Here you go, guys. Thanks, Thomas, and a big round of applause. Uh, um, When we were asked by Thomas to share, it was all around Restart. They're both personal stories that we'll share, but also portrayals. 
people who are restarting careers, people who are restarting in terms of communities, be it international refugees uh, or folks just down the street. Uh, I'll hand it over uh, to Marika to talk about her own restart. Thanks for having us. I originally grew up in California and um, then went to college on the East Coast and decided to go to grad school for architecture. And I got really interested in um, the intersection of um, architecture with international development while I was in architecture school um, and worked on a few projects in East Africa, mostly in Rwanda. While I was doing that work, I started to really realized that a lot of the issues that I was seeing in places like Rwanda really weren't ones that needed architectural solutions. And so I started to get really interested in looking for ways to broaden my tool set within design beyond architecture. And so after I graduated from architecture school, I um, applied to be a fellow at this newly formed design nonprofit called IDEO.org in San Francisco. So here's me as one of the um, eight fellows getting kind of a crash course um, in design thinking or human-centered design. I did that year at IDEO.org and afterwards I didn't have a job I didn't know what I was going to do and that's kind of when Graham coerced me into moving to Cleveland so it was kind of in this moment of both trying to figure out how to restart my life in Cleveland and also seeing if I could figure out how to do independent um, design work using this sort of design thinking methodology. I've still done a lot of work with IDEO.org, and so I thought I would just talk through the sort of human-centered design process for the project that I just finished working on. Our focus was specifically on access to safe abortion care for Rohingya refugees living in Bangladesh and refugee camps. We spent uh, about two weeks talking to women, men, lots of different kinds of people, trying to understand their lives, the barriers they face, and also their decision-making process and beliefs. It's sort of an interesting situation where they're a very conservative Muslim group, and so the husbands basically are making all of the decisions about um, what happens in the family. So even though a lot of women were very interested and open to taking um, birth control, um, Often, if the husbands didn't allow it, they didn't have any choice, they weren't able to take it. And yet, this is part of why I thought it was interesting as part of the restart theme, is that since getting to the camps, men in particular um, had been learning a lot more from neighbors because there was, it's a much denser community now than where they were living in Myanmar. And so a lot of the husbands were starting to learn about family planning and birth control, and so they were actually getting more open to it. And so there was this sense that this new location was kind of opening people's perspectives on whether birth control might be something that's okay for um, families to try. So this kind of seemed like a big opportunity. And so we really targeted our challenge to really focus on how to educate men on family planning and use that kind of as a spark so that men could kind of become supporters for their wives in getting services. And this was kind of the final proposal that we came up with that we were calling the Peaceful Rohingya Family. Each um, man and woman that plays the game would get a card they're able to take home and they can use to have a conversation with their husband or their wife about whether they actually want to have a baby right now and then whether they'd like to um, receive counseling. This was kind of a, a short nine, ten week project and now our client iPass will continue to kind of iterate and get feedback on it and then hopefully be able to go to a larger scale pilot. So I'm going to talk about the neighborhood around us and, and the notion of restart. So this church, this was historically a restart for slaves who were seeking their freedom on the Underground Railroad. This was known as Station Hope. 
and the neighborhood was known as Station Hope. It wasn't just this building. And there was a network of bells that would signal whether a bounty hunter was in the neighborhood and slaves had to find a hiding spot. Uh, there would be a signal from the steeple here whether they should go down to either the lake or go down to the river because you were trying to stay one step ahead of the bounty hunters. And they would meet canoes that would canoe them out to steamers that would then bring them to their freedom in Canada. So talk about you know, an amazing restart and one that creates this as a sacred space beyond you know, just religious. But the, the social justice you know, history is not just in this space, but also uh, in the whole notion of shelter and housing. And this is a picture of Eleanor Roosevelt just across the street. She came here in 1937 to see what public housing was all about. And it was a restart for really America, thinking of housing less as uh, something that was uh, a privilege and something that was more of a right. Lakeview, uh, our neighbors just a few hundred yards away, it's the first public housing project in America. And that's an amazing thing and something that I think makes this neighborhood truly special. And it was based on the notion of a European hillside village. And it also took a lot of inspiration from Chatham Village in Pittsburgh. But if you walk around, you see really remarkable international style architecture and some great public art that dates back to the 1930s. And this is a relief by the WPA artist, William McVeigh. Uh, he was part of this whole restart of the American narrative after World War I, when there was real despair and the country and Roosevelt was trying to get folks to coalesce around this national identity. So you had this fascinating attempt to restart the narrative with public art. Uh, in this part of the country. And you know, when we bought the firehouse, we were trying to have creative interventions that restarted a bit too. So we worked with a group of um, friends that did some guerrilla street art. And I guess it, it, in retrospect, it was a mistake because we did it thinking that we wouldn't get in trouble. But this was an attempt to say, oh, you know, let's bring bright colors. And you know, it, it was a very intentional design. And there are now luckily crosswalks and stop signs uh, there. And we did other interventions. And, and then you know, where we restarted kind of actually formalizing these kinds of interventions was with uh, this living wall, 3,000 plants. But this was funded by the sewer district, and it was a collaboration uh, with them. So it takes all the stormwater from the roof uh, and it waters these plants. You know, it was an attempt to say, all right, how do we you know, add these elements that create some reason for folks to come and visit in addition to the amazing shops and makers and whatnot. And it was an unbelievable collaboration for a series of these public art pieces in and around the neighborhood. And you know, we love the fact that this is something that there's a momentum in the city of. Um, Instagram saw all of the posts and reached out to say, we want to do a mural in Cleveland that we'll commission. And so this is Lovebirds. Uh, this is just down on 25th. And this is our latest project. We'll break ground in the next two weeks uh, on this. And it's church and state. The street is church. And West 29th was historically known as State Street. Uh, and so we're joking and calling the pedestrian way between the separation between church and state. Uh, <laughs> but part of the exciting part is the two-story public art piece that we'll wrap the 11-story building with. 
And we're grateful to you know, be doing our little part, but know that it's a collective and collaborative effort. And we just really want to thank you all for your time and your attention. It's great to have you on the show, and we really enjoyed your speech. And you talked about the, the greater community, the global community, and your projects overseas. Is there a restart that, that, that we could benefit from right about now? You know, I think the issues around reproductive health that I was talking about globally are relevant in the U.S. too. What makes it so difficult? Are we? It seems like we're going backwards with those conversations in this country. It what do you? Of, yeah, it kind of does feel that way. I think it's just a lot of things. I think it's cultural. It's so personal. People yeah. have personal experiences. Right. You know, I don't know. I don't have children, so I would never really want to speculate about what goes through every woman or man's head when they're thinking about those topics because they are so intimate and can be so vulnerable. Right. But it does feel like we're sometimes kind of going backwards and that we sometimes forget, I don't know, that women also should be able to kind of have control of their own bodies and not be beholden to a larger cultural conversation that can sometimes feel a little bit separate from an individual woman's ability to make her own choice about her own family and her own future. Well, time out. That's what's so puzzling. And what was so refreshing with the, the second half, the new mixed-use development going into Hingetown, this idea of the separation between church and state. I mean, do you find that a, a, just a perplexing shift where there's, there's, there's such a push to infuse one type of dogma, one type of uh, ideology into our policies over women's health, women's rights? Yeah, I think our country right now is very polarized between very different points of view and some people really feeling like that should be part of the conversation and other people saying that it's inappropriate. And and yeah, we do have that separation between church and state that's supposed to be kind of inherent to um, our government. But I also feel like that's probably part of our country's history too, is coming from religious sort of Puritan background. So I guess it's in some ways not so surprising. Yeah, that's, it is interesting because, you know, yeah, in God we trust. You know, it's, it's all, there's an underpinning. Right. But maybe with today's times and diverse population and ever-changing demographics, we need to uh, restart that right. mindset. Right. right? And, and even like, you know, it's interesting, even in the Quran doesn't really talk explicitly about those issues. You know, even among the imams we were talking to in Bangladesh, um, the Rohingya imams, it's often pointed to of this this moment kind of at the end of the first trimester where you have the quickening, where you can first sure. feel the movements of the baby. And so medically ending a pregnancy is acceptable until that moment. Okay. Um, and so even within a very conservative religious group, that's not by everybody, but by some religious leaders kind of seen as acceptable. So I was actually pretty surprised by that. What's most difficult about going into another community across the ocean and evangelizing a restart in their culture when you have religious forces, uh, the forces between uh, the genders, mm-hmm. the, the, just the cultural realities? Was that difficult? What was I mean, it like? I'd say that you're tr- probably trying to steer clear of doing anything that looks like evangelizing. Right. Um, okay. Because that so, kind of implies well, you know, that you're going into another culture and just completely telling them what they should be doing that's different than what they want to do. And so what you're really trying to do is more just spend time talking to people and understanding their stories and trying to talk to enough people 
with different opinions and different stories that you kind of feel like you're starting to hone in and almost triangulate what feels culturally appropriate and where there's sort of opportunity where maybe women are actually interested in birth control already, but they don't feel like they have the agency to make those decisions, there right? There you go. So That's it, different than evangelizing. That is different. You already ha- they already have the, the interest and the belief, but it's more like they need the permission. You're, or, f- you're yeah. facilitating. Exactly. Would have been the better word. <laughs> and they're asking for a restart. They're looking for a restart, probably on a number of levels. Mm-hmm. And you're helping them with the tools to to make that a reality. Exactly. And I think then also make sure that they have access to information. It's kind of like trying to remove barriers that exist towards making those lifestyle changes. It can be really hard, this idea of pivoting, even in a company, in your personal life. How do you know? I mean, what's that moment? How do you know when it's time for a restart? I don't know if you always really know. Certainly, I think I've felt and probably a lot of people go through periods of just feeling kind of antsy or they're just like a little dissatisfied with their current circumstance. Just sort of this gentle nagging. Right. Right. I think that also it's important before really taking a leap off a, you know, diving board to do something completely different that you're finding ways to do smaller tests Um, but you're instead looking for ways to try out what you're thinking about in smaller ways. So it can be a a gradient. Exactly. It doesn't have to be hitting a wall. Yeah. You're walking your way there. That's ideal. That's nice. Or that moment of something bad happening actually opens up, in some ways, new opportunities. I think that can happen, too. I think that's what was happening in Bangladesh is Rohingya refugees had gone through really horrifying circumstances, had ended up, living in Bangladesh, but then in some ways had started to see that as an opportunity to maybe change their perspective a little bit on certain things about how their family could evolve. How would you diagram this? It seems like it has to be one part calculated and and one part experience. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd probably have a few different kinds of diagrams depending on how sudden the restart is, right? You'd have the nice gradient and then you'd have the one where there was like a complete break. So it's sort of the walking and running, if you will. Exactly. Falling off a cliff. We've all been there. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to be here still. Here's the thing. Here, we haven't talked about this today. The subconscious, where you couldn't do that in your day-to-day conscious thinking like, I'm going to set myself up. I'm not even going to book a room. I'm just going to see what happens. <laughs> but your subconscious could put you there because it forces the hand right. of a restart. Right. Fascinates totally. me because I think we do a lot of self-sabotage because we don't have the courage right. to do it straightforward. Yeah. We let things blow up right. because we know we have to go there. Yeah, totally. I do this a lot where I, it's really easy to overthink things and kind of like, you know, you should really just try something, but you're scared. Yeah. And so you're sitting there and you're not doing it and you're not doing it. And sometimes you just need that push of something just to get yourself going. Right. But what's the takeaway for everybody out there, do you think? We talked about a lot of different kinds of restart. And I think restart can look like a lot of different things. And maybe the idea that everybody's path looks different, but that maybe trying to find small actions you can take that kind of at least get you on the road towards your bigger goal and not feeling overwhelmed by trying to get to a huge goal in you know a really short time because anything that's worthwhile is going to be probably hard and take a long time to do we love learning more about restarting 
from so many different people. There are lessons here about new perspectives and walking through a process that's not always clear. A restart can be the perfect opportunity for realignment or for reinvention. How about a word from Lee Iacocca? Remember that guy? So what do we do? Anything. Something. So long as we just don't sit there. If we screw it up, start over. Try something else. If we wait until we've satisfied all the uncertainties, it may be too late. Thanks for listening to Wake Up Call. Join us next month when we'll be talking tradition. Wake Up Call is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, a proud member of the Front Porch Media Network. Special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya, producer and audio engineer Dave Douglas, account manager Connor Standish. Thanks to 2Bob Crew for the use of their song Rooster, available on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a review. It really helps. You can learn more about this and other podcasts from Evergreen at evergreenpodcasts.com. I'm your host, David Allen Moss. Thanks for listening to Wake Up Call, ideas that crow. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.